Kia ora, I'm Emil Donovan, and a few months ago, I did a podcast about New Zealand's goal to get to 100% renewable electricity generation. And the long and the short of it was noble goal, and we're pretty well placed to do it, but for the foreseeable, we're still going to have to burn some coal and some oil for the quick sugar hits of energy we need when the wind isn't blowing and the dam's running dry. And the reaction to that podcast was interesting. Lots of the correspondence I got wasn't actually about renewables or fossil fuels. It was about nuclear power. Why doesn't New Zealand go nuclear? After all, nuclear power is clean, right? Even the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change says so. That's why they recommended in their most recent report that achieving deep cuts in emissions is going to require a more intensive use of renewables, nuclear and carbon capture and storage. Nuclear power is cheap. Once you've got a reactor up and running, it's reliable. The fuel that you burn is kind of plentiful. There's enough to last us a century or so. And once again, it's clean. An operational nuclear power plant produces almost no greenhouse gas emissions. But there is a problem. A few problems. Frank, it was an accident at the Three Mile Island nuclear power plant, which is located on an island in the Susquehanna River, 10 miles from Harrisburg. One of the atomic reactors at the Chernobyl atomic power plant near the city of Kiev was damaged, and there is speculation in Moscow that people were injured and may have died. This is as far as you can go before entering the exclusion zone surrounding the Fukushima Daiichi nuclear power plant. Inside, the Tokyo Electric Power Company, or TEPCO, is struggling to contain the ongoing nuclear disaster. So today on The Detail, we're looking at nuclear power. What it is, how it works, whether it is safe, and how we should view it as humanity transitions away from fossil fuels. Dr David Krofchek is a nuclear physicist at the University of Auckland. I began by asking him if he really actually is a nuclear physicist. Yes, I am a nuclear physicist, although that has evolved from traditional low-energy nuclear physics to Uh the fundamental research we do at high energies at the Large Hadron Collider in Geneva, Switzerland. Yeah. What does a nuclear physicist do? Nuclear physicist studies the fundamental atomic nuclei. So you think of chemistry, you have electrons spinning Uh from around the outside. And in the inside, you have things from your old chemistry and high school science class, protons and neutrons. But there's a whole universe of things inside protons and neutrons that existed in the first milliseconds, microseconds, millions of a second of the early universe. Mm. And we study the physics of these quarks and gluons, these new names for these substructure of protons and neutrons. It's a purely basic research project of how the universe works. I love this about physics. It introduces you to a whole new vocabulary of funny-sounding words. Where do these names come (laughs) from? And they're gluons, because they glue the quarks together. That's the reason they're gluons. There's a logic to it. Um, What's nuclear power? Nuclear power is the energy that can come in two different ways from the atomic nucleus. You can have light nuclei and stick them together, that's nuclear fusion, or you can have a heavy nucleus like uranium, which is what most people will think of when they think of the word nuclear power. That can be encouraged to split into two lighter pieces, 
And it releases a fair amount of energy, energy of motion of, of some of the particles that come off. Mm. And it's that energy of motion which heats up water, mm. which then boils, which then makes steam, which then turns a turbine, which then makes electricity from a generator. Okay. Nuclear power is just an incredibly sophisticated way to boil water. <laughs> That's what I tell my students, and I will stand by that. Yeah. You've got yourself a nuclear reactor here. It's kind of like a kettle, except the water's not heated by electricity, it's heated by nuclear fuel rods. Boiling water produces steam. The steam comes down a pipe, and there it impacts on a turbine, which is essentially a bunch of spoons on a spindle. That produces electricity, and hey presto, you've got yourself a happy town. When did we first learn how to harness using these materials, these radioactive materials, to, to create power? This was not the original goal. This was back in the 1940s when World War II was raging and it wasn't certain which way things were going. Mm. And in Chicago, a fellow named Enrico Fermi, who was up on the literature of the time, recognized that there was a possibility that someone had discovered that heavy elements could somehow be split into lighter elements and... People saw this as a possible source of energy. Finally, Fermi, to most everybody's relief, I guess you'd say, said, OK, zip in. I don't know where that term ever came. And George put the uh, control rod all the way back in, and everybody cheered. The whole gallery was filled with people. And I guess it was Wigner brought out a bottle of Chianti, and everybody had a little sip. And what do you think of if, when you're in a world war? You think yeah. of weapon. Yeah. So the... Original purpose was for creating a bomb. Uh-huh. And we all know the history now of an atomic bomb development. And since that time and after the war, uh, the use of reactors, as they became known, became the atoms for peace, as Eisenhower once put it. Mm-hmm. And the idea was that we could get limitless energy too inexpensive to even count the price. Mm. And that was the the heady days of the early <laughs> 1950s. With optimism, right? Yes, yes. <laughs> so what, what do you need to create nuclear power? We'll concentrate on nuclear fission here, because yes, that's okay. what's happening, um, even though nuclear fusion is also being studied. Okay. You need a source of heavy nuclei. Historically, we've found, we have, we, the Royal, we have found uranium to be a good source. Uh, it's not the only source. There's another element called thorium, but mm. that was bypassed. So you get uranium, uranium ore from Australia or mm. Canada. Soviet Union at the time was the Soviet Union got theirs from, I think, Kazakhstan, which is like the biggest. That's the place for uranium. That's the place yeah. f- to get, um, but if you're in the you're in our world, it's Canada and Australia, right. and in fact, uh, Canada will extract the ore, turn it into uh, an oxide, a powder, yellowish powder, and it will actually ship through Auckland in, wow. in barrels. Really, it's been doing this for thirty years or thirty-five years. Yes, and it's and it's no more radioactive than the rock that they took it out of, wow. and and then we'll ship it to the United States or anywhere else that. Uh, then pro- does further chemical processing and enrich that uranium. Is that what you mean by enrichment? Okay, this yeah. is what gets enriched before you can make it into uh, uranium pellets, which are then 
inserted into fuel rods. Fuel rods are then assembled into a big square inside the uh, reactor chamber. Mm -hmm. And that's the start. That's So what you really need is heavy nuclei, uranium, an enrichment process to enrich the uranium that likes to fission. Mm -hmm. And then you need billions of dollars (laughs) to build the plant. What are the benefits of nuclear energy as compared to other types of energy generation? I think once the problem of building the plant is is overcome and you're through this period, 10-year period and multi-billion dollar cost mm. of building the plant, the best part about nuclear power is that it's consistent right. and it's reliable. Mm-hmm. And that's why people often choose to use this as a baseline instead of, say, burning coal uh, and, and, and turning on another coal plant. Mm. Uh, I, I remember terrible winters in Chicago back in the States where all the other power plants were out except the one nuclear power plant which powered the entire city through the entire January and February. I've heard it said that nuclear power is pretty much zero emissions and that being another positive contrast to, for example, using fossil fuels to generate energy. Is that is that true or is that gilding the lily a wee bit? Well, that's... That's essentially true once you're in the running period. Right. Because there's a huge CO2 cost in concrete right. building this gadget in the first place. And there's an enormous mountain of carbon dioxide that must be overcome. But as I look at the data, you know, the CO2 per unit energy delivered, you come down over the years. The longer the plant is alive, that number gets smaller, so you have you're almost at an advantage yeah. compared to some of these other renewable entities for the total CO two delivered over the lifetime of the plant. So it has there's maybe a way to think about it is it, ha- it has high upfront costs, both monetary and Absolutely. in terms of your carbon emissions. Absolutely, but once it's there, and that's it a big runs. that's a big once it's there. But once it's there, it has very low low running costs in terms of emissions. That's right. In terms of emissions, it has very low running costs. So if the benefits of nuclear energy are that it's extremely reliable, that it's relatively cheap once upfront costs have been met, and that the emissions relative to burning fossil fuels are extremely low, again, once upfront costs to the environment have been accounted for, what are the drawbacks of nuclear power? Boy, it depends on where you live. Uh... I, I should say, for my home in the States, uh, it really is a financial cost, and fewer people worry about perhaps what they should be worrying about, uh, the secondary uses of the enriched uranium, because that enriched uranium, once you get it to the uh, power plant value of 6 or 7%, then you have the next highest enrichment level, which is weapons enrichment, mm. which goes at 20, 21, 25%. You get a bigger blast. And there are military interests in keeping that kind of supply alive. So is it the idea that, like, the thing that you use as fuel also has a potential application as a destructive weapon? And because there is a straight line between those two things, there is always a lingering threat in the background of nuclear power that it might be used for destructive purposes sometime in the future. That's what bothers me the most. It's not so much where do we store the nuclear waste Uh, or is this nuclear power plant going to melt down, Um, as we've had a couple of famous incidents Mm. in Chernobyl and in Fukushima. But it's really the weapons scenario that that, that bothers me. Chernobyl Reactor 4 is now a nuclear bomb. 
Reactor 4, designed to operate at 3,200 megawatts, went beyond 33,000. The pressure inside the core can no longer be held back. At long last, we have arrived. 12345 explosion. It's been nearly 40 years since Chernobyl happened. That's right. Um, it's, it's been 80 years since uh, Hiroshima and Nagasaki um, had nuclear bombs dropped on them. And yet, I, th- I think that in most people's minds, those images are what persists when you think of nuclear. Yes. You know, destruction and death and radiation, uninhabitable, desolate areas. But in the real world, you know, in 2022, right. is that fair? Is that fair? This is not a physics question. Well, this no. is my question. This is yeah. a question for 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 Mr. Krofchek. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't think it really is fair because I don't think that is the dominant truth. I think the potential for weapons is a real danger because countries have built nuclear weapons, and there are so many, like nine or ten nuclear weapons countries now in the world. Yeah. So that's a real danger. Good part is that we haven't dropped any of these bombs since that development of the weapon. And so we've had success talking with each other and negotiating down the number of weapons. They used to be in the tens of thousands Mm. with the Soviet Union and the U.S. And strategic arms reduction talks reduced these down to a handful of thousands. I know that's a lot for people listening, but compared to what it was, this is a small number. So we've had some success negotiating down the, the weapons part, which I feel good about. There still is the need to be wary for nuclear weapons and nuclear power, but I think for all of the energy that's been generated and and the spin-off diagnostics, the medical diagnostics and the and, and, and energy generation, I think that's probably closer to the truth than the shocking and rightfully shocking and scary events we've seen with nuclear power plants Mm. uh, in those two events, Fukushima and Chernobyl. I think those were the aberrations. They are not the norm. And I think a lot of people may not want to hear that, Uh, but that's my observation. Okay, let's get into that. That's an interesting point because my question around that is geared at at the idea that like, if you are going to invest in nuclear power or make nuclear power a big part of your country's energy generation or humanity's energy generation, are you accepting that things like Chernobyl and Fukushima will happen, i.e. are are events like that an inevitability or are those accidents more consequences of things that aren't fundamentally about nuclear power, um, institutional failings, individual failings? I think... Probably the two cases we're talking about where you build a a Soviet Union-style reactor, which has since been either completely taken off line or massively remodeled, so they still use them, but they have learned from the West. And you've got to be careful where you locate them, right? right? Um, You need a body of water nearby as a source of cooling. Maybe it's not so good to build a nuclear power plant in an earthquake (laughs) zone. Because there's a, the earthquake faults nearby, mm-hmm. and maybe at the time they're building it, they knew this, but they thought, yeah, but it's a one in a thousand year. Where have we heard the one in a thousand year yeah. incident? Yeah. Just think of Fukushima, the the high tide from the uh, tsunami, mm-hmm. and I think that is the trade off for a stable base of energy that a Western society and now Eastern societies, China, 
Japan want to have. Mm. And I think that's the decision we need to make. Do we want to live with this? Now, we can live with this, but I feel that I'd like to see that we're in a transitional period now where the nuclear power plants that we have maybe are starting to age and 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 reaching their presumed design limit of length lifetime with the falling cost of solar panels and and hydropower and wind power we can replace as we drop the nuclear power we can replace that in my preference with these renewable energies to Ukraine now. Well, Ukraine and Russia are pointing the finger at each other for shelling a Ukrainian nuclear power plant. The Zaporizhia nuclear power plant, which is held by Russian forces, remains disconnected from the energy grid, causing blackouts across the region. Experts fear that a loss of power would leave the facility forced to rely on emergency backup generators to cool its reactors. Ukraine's President Vladimir Zelensky says the world has narrowly avoided a radiation disaster. When you hear about things like the shelling of the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant, you <laughs> you just put your hand to your face and shook your head. Face like, palm. Yeah. Yes. I've never been in combat, so take that as as what it's worth. But I can imagine that people don't react logically or rationally or sensibly when someone is shooting at them. Mm. And when you're in a firefight, I can imagine people just not caring what else is around. I see someone shooting at me. I'm going to defend my life. Hmm. And unfortunately, now we have the first major nuclear set of nuclear reactors, because there's six reactors in the Zaporizhia uh, plant, the second largest nuclear facility in Europe. Hmm. And people are shooting at each other. They're shooting rockets or artillery and, and, and ricocheting off the concrete and steel containers which shield that reactor core. Now, that's a, it, these reactor cores are really robust. It might be able to take a couple of hits from, from a, a rocket, but it would be truly evil to sit there with your, with your howitzer and blast shell after shell after shell trying to penetrate that reactor. reactor. Yeah. And have, my message is to my U- Ukrainian Russian friends, please do not shoot at the nuclear reactors. <laughs> please do not shoot the nuclear reactors. I'm, like, I'm laughing because it's a because funny it, sentence, but it's, it's, it's not it's, a funny it's, sentence at all as well. It's yeah. funny in a sad sense. Yeah. Is this serious? It is because not so much that the um, nuclear reactors might get hit by rockets, mm but that the power lines which go in to keep the coolant systems flowing and keep the the, the uh, heat-absorbing fluid, uh, the water, uh, flowing so that too much heat doesn't build up, those have been knocked out multiple times. Hmm. And there is a coal-burning plant nearby which supplies directly electricity. So there is an external source that supplies cooling electric power to the six reactors, but they're still in a low operating. They're generating just a little bit of heat. Mm. But what we learned, what I personally learned, and what was against what I was taught uh, from Fukushima, was that you can, in fact, melt that nuclear reactor. And once that nuclear reactor core melts, it can, in fact, melt its way through the iron and steel and concrete shielding Mm. and the floor and that's when, that's what happened at Fukushima. The, the core melted 
went right through the floor and found its way into the ocean. And that's what bothers me a little bit about the Zaporizhia plant. It's, it's the loss of coolant and the meltdown, which, you know, the, the water boils away and, and, the, and you're left with just a, nucle- a bare nuclear reactor with no way to dissipate its heat. Mm-hmm. So the fuel rods melt, the uranium melts, and you get this several thousand degree mixture, two or three thousand degree mixture, which will melt, melt its way through the steel and concrete and into the ground. So a stock take. Nuclear power promises reliable, plentiful, cheap energy with very low emissions. On the other hand, possible nuclear meltdowns, humongous financial overheads, and of course, the question of what you do with nuclear waste, which is currently placed in tunnels and sealed with rocks and clay. Though some countries, most notably Finland, are working on more permanent solutions, like drilling a hole into a mountain and storing them there for thousands of years like a 21st century terracotta army. Yeah, that's the permanent solution. So what about New Zealand and nuclear power? Is this something we might consider in the short to medium term? Not really. New Zealand's in a relatively unique position in the world. We can produce loads of renewable energy from many different sources, from solar, hydro, wind, and geothermal. So we would struggle to justify the cost it would take to build a nuclear reactor, and that's without even considering the public sentiment. You're looking for a... I think what people are looking for is is a solid baseline power, and... That's something that the, the sun and and the wind uh, just cannot deliver with a with a solid guarantee. Yeah, because there isn't always the sun's not always going to shine. The that's wind's right. Not always and and blow. even though battery technology is increasing, and maybe you can put ten thousand small batteries around Wanganui to store store energy, um, and then that's your baseline supply when there's a, a, a dropout of of uh, the wind and solar. But you deal with this at tremendous economic cost. New Zealand doesn't need to build a giant $12 billion full-scale nuclear plant. Now, having said that, the next generation are small modular reactors, mm-hmm. SMRs, which might be a third or a quarter of the power of a full Zaporizhia-type nuclear power plant, mm. and they're about the size of your house. Wow, really? That's the kind of size they're at now, and they're, they're working to be smaller, yeah. about the size of a shipping container is the goal. <sighs> and then you stack these together, and that's your baseline. Right. And, and the cost is, well, again, supposed to be low, but it's been increasing as I've been watching these companies try to build smaller versions of reactors. They've had some success doing it, and maybe someday in the future New Zealand will find it within its interest to have a modular reactor to provide emergency backup power for maybe the bigger cities uh, where where the electricity is actually needed. But that's something New Zealanders will decide for themselves. Uh, I'm not telling people they need to do this, but I'm throwing this out as one thing they should look for in the future. That's it for today. I'm Emil Donovan. 
The Detail is public interest journalism funded through New Zealand On Air and produced by Newsroom for RNZ. You can get us downloaded free to your mobile device every weekday from any podcast platform. Today's episode was engineered by Rangi Powak and produced by Sarah Robson. Bonnie Harrison is our associate producer. And thanks to David Krofchek. Matewa.